graduating seniors get a Reformation study Bible. And um, this student wasn't here, so I think I'm going to keep this one for myself. <laughs> so, no. uh, if you don't have a study Bible, and I, I assume that you do, but this one is uh, edited by R.C. Sproul. It came out years ago as the Geneva Study Bible, using the term from the Geneva Bible from the Reformation. And, uh, but it's all been updated. It's in the uh, English Standard Version, which is what we use here in, uh, among our congregation. But that is an excellent study Bible. There are many out there, but I highly recommend that one as well. So each of the students will receive one of those after, uh, after the service is over. They are right over there. Um, let me invite you to take a Bible, if you will. We're going to look at two brief passages of Scripture. First, from the book of Exodus, uh, page 61, I believe. It's the Ten Commandments. It's not like I've got the page numbers all memorized. I just remember that from the first service. Yes, it's page 61, Exodus chapter 20. And I'll read the first part of the Ten Commandments, and then we will look at the New Testament explanation of that commandment from Ephesians chapter 6. If you remember, uh, God had delivered his people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and he he took them down to uh, what now we we call uh, Saudi Arabia, but the Sinai Peninsula, and and there he, he gave them his law. He, he, he gave this to them to de-Egyptianize them. And the commandments, uh, even beginning with the first commandment, uh, was a commandment against worshiping other gods because there had been an entire pantheon uh, of gods in, in Egypt. But with that being said, uh, follow along with me, if you will, as I read beginning in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I'll end that with the reading of that portion of the Ten Commandments. And if you'll just turn over to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, that's page 979. Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4, and here Paul uh, repeats that fifth commandment. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we need great wisdom when it comes to the uh, family and the redefining of the family that we see going on all around us. And we pray for guidance from your word now that you would cause seed to land and bear fruit and that you would provide food for our thirsty souls. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, since today is Mother's Day, I wanted to look at the fifth commandment from Exodus and its New Testament application in Ephesians 6. And uh, one of the books I've been reading lately that, that I heard mentioned by another pastor is uh, this book by Mary Everstadt entitled How the West Really Lost God. Now, uh, the author is a, a cultural critic who's, uh, who promotes the theory in this book that, that is rather novel. And it's about the decline of religion in the Western world, in Western civilization, Great Britain, France, Spain, the U.S., Canada, the Americas, and so forth. The conventional wisdom, and if you think about such things, is that in the West we first experienced a religious decline that has been followed by a decline of the family. But what she shows in her exhaustive research, but a very interesting and well-written book, is that the, what has happened in the West is that the undermining of the family has what has caused the undermining of Christianity, not the other way around. And she goes into such statistics as in Great Britain and here in America and elsewhere after World War II, how church attendance at least of all denominations uh, was uh, greatly increased in the 1950s from about 1951 until about 1966 or 67. Greatly increased. And I, I, I know I've met many people from around here in Macon that will refer, I'll, I'll meet them and when they find out I'm a pastor they'll say, well I grew up over at such and such a church and now that church is no longer there. Here, here in Macon. And they'll say, I remember when I was growing up in the 1960s, it would be packed. It would have 800 people there on Sundays. Well, beginning around 1967, all that began to change. And when you had no-fault divorce, you had the, the, the sexual revolution. And so she goes into a lot of these details. It's not an it's not a, uh, explicitly Christian book by any means. Uh, but she, she's saying that people now are beginning to understand this more, that with the that, that primarily where people are taught the faith and believe it is in the home, is in the family, and without a doubt. So let's look to, today for a few moments at, at uh, this commandment from Exodus and also from the, the explanation and application from Ephesians chapter, cha chapter 6. When we come to the Ten Commandments, as you know, uh, there are, are two tables. The, the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. They, they're called the, the vertical commandments. Then the last six commandments deal with our relationships with one another. Now, first things first, we begin with a relationship with God before we can relate to one another. Now, despite what some may have been taught, and I heard this as a youngster, you, you don't become a Christian by trying to teach, uh, keep the Ten Commandments. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is none of us are able to keep the Ten Commandments in our thoughts, words, or our actions. And the Bible itself says the commandments are a teacher. They are a guide. They lead us to Christ. So as we look at this commandment today, if you say, boy, I sure have missed the mark on this one, hey, haven't we all? 
So this is not intended to say, hey, let's look at the fifth commandment and pat ourselves on the back at what a good job we've done. The law doesn't really do that. It has the opposite effect that says you need a savior. You need, a, you need forgiveness. And we need probably go no further than that one commandment, the fifth commandment, to see that. I heard of a story of a young man who grew up in a family where because of, of jobs, his, his father moved their family every year. And every year they would move to a new location. They would change cities, not just change houses. They would change cities. And he went through so many broken friendships that by the time he got older, uh, high school age and older, he, he just decided, I'm going to quit trying to build friendships. There's no point. Because at the end of this school year, we're gone. So he had a yearning to stay in one place. So his family had moved to Chicago. When it came time for the family to move, he said, I want to stay here. And with his parents' blessing, he stayed there. He got a job. He was living with some others. I believe he was in college. And he said that on the day he waved goodbye to his parents, he began to feel a wave of loneliness like he'd never experienced before. And he realized there was an emptiness in his heart. And he said, I yearn to have a relationship with someone who I would never have to say goodbye to. I yearn to have a relationship with someone who I would never have to say goodbye to. Now, he longed for such a relationship. So I want to say something to you parents and children. Parents, you can have the, the closest bond with your children that is possible, but it will not fill the void in your heart that only a relationship with Christ can fill. Youngster, you can have the closest bond with your family, with your parents, or if you're from a single home or single parent home or whatever the situation, you can have the closest bond, but it will in no way replace what you desperately need, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ, someone to whom you will never have to say goodbye. Now, this begins when we recognize that we have a problem with God, and that's called sin. And he says that the punishment, payment for sin, is death, and he sent Christ to be a redeemer, to be a savior so that we can be right with him. So what are some observations about parents and children from these commandments, this commandment and the explanation? First of all, and these are not drawn directly from the text, this is not an expositional sermon today, one, there are no perfect parents, just as there are no perfect children. If there were perfect parents and perfect children, we would not need this commandment. We would all just do these things naturally. Uh, but especially to youngsters here, you see that your parents have, have weaknesses, and they have their faults, and they have inconsistencies. And the only perfect parent is God, God the Father. And even the best parents make mistakes, and they sin because we're, the Bible says we're all sinners. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there are parents who are not worthy of honor. I mean, I've heard horror stories as a pastor with situations that, that some people have grown up in or things that go on now. And, and there were parents. Some of you may have had them or one that was abusive and manipulative and neglectful and even cruel to you. And, uh, and you may be thinking, what, what is God telling me to do? Am I supposed to just uh, put a smile on my face and pretend that nothing ever happened, everything is great? No, you're not. But God is saying, I want you to honor that position of parenthood. I want you to show honor to that person. You may say, well, what about step-parents? 
Uh, does this apply to step parents? I've got a stepdad or, or a stepmother. Um, if you're young, you're in a complicated situation. And no two situations are exactly the same, and I'd be the last person to say that they are. But if a step parent is in the picture or enters the picture while you're young, honor and obey that person. A word to parents. There's never been a perfect parent. And, and you cannot, this may surprise some of you, uh, perhaps. We live in a very idealistic day, especially with, with Christians. You cannot guarantee how your children will turn out. You can't. And uh, God has given your child a will of his or her own. And, and you cannot ultimately determine the outcome of his or her heart, whether they will follow God or not. We take covenant. We believe in the covenant in this church. You hear baptismal vows that parents take with their children. And if you listen closely, we are claiming God's promises with his temporal benefits, but we can't control whether the eternal benefits, the forgiveness of sin and so forth, are exercised by faith by them. We pray toward that end, and we rejoice when it happens, and we live with expectancy that it will, but we can't control it. We cannot determine that. They have to make that choice. So I have goals for myself that I can try and control myself, but I have desires for my children or grandchildren. I can't set goals for them because I can't control what, what they do, nor should I try. Your children are not wanting to see if you're perfect. They're wanting to see if your faith is real. I had a pastor, a friend of mine, tell me of a compliment his son paid to him in a very a difficult situation, but his son had gone off to college, and after college, he just basically walked away from the faith. And um, he said, you know, I, the son said to the dad, he said, I don't, I don't go to church. I don't. He made critical comments toward church. But I know this, I've got a father who believes this. Now that was a, I mean, he was complimenting that all he'd seen in his dad was consistency. And, and, and that, that was a, a great compliment. And thankfully, he, he had a change of heart. It, it came later. But all he was holding on to was the example that he had seen set by his father and I assume by his mother also. So children are not wanting to see if you're perfect. They want to see if your faith is real. All right, second observation Respect for all authority begins at the home. This is nothing new. That's, you know that. God never intended respect for authority to end at the home. That was a beginning place. It's a starting place. There are other legitimate authorities which flow out of this commandment. Employers and students respect the authority of teachers. Wives are to respect the authority of husbands. We know from Ephesians we're to respect the government, the law, the police. Sports umpires? Parents, what are you teaching your kids in this area? How do you show them respect uh, at a basketball game, which is typically the worst, you know, with that, toward authority? Want to be salt and light for Christ? Try it in that arena. Mike Krzyzewski, I've, I've mentioned him before, uh, though I don't think he, he doesn't claim um, uh, to believe in Christ or anything like that, but he's been a, you know, Coach of the Year over 12 times uh, in his 30-plus years at Duke uh, coaching basketball, the Blue Devils there. But he, he, he's made a point that he said when he sends out recruiters, they always go to see the prospective player in their home. They don't meet them at a restaurant or someplace. They want to see, and he said the reason we do that is we know the way they treat the, the authority in their home is the way they're going to respond to us and in the college environment. 
So that's where we learn it. Third observation, how I relate to my parents will affect every other relationship. And some of us need to hear this. Because our style of relating was set at home. The statistics are pretty uh, scary how much development happens within the first two years of a little one's life. You know, like 95% of their personality is developed at such a, a young time. But your style of relating is set there. Now, even today as adults, many of us act in ways we don't understand and we can't figure out, now, why do I do that? And it's because we're reacting to our parents. Now, I'm not trying to give you a bunch of psycho Bible and, and, and back it up with some Bible verses. I mean, that's just pretty common, that many marriages have been greatly affected by unresolved conflicts between spouses and their parents. And so words come out like, you remind me of my mother. You remind me of my father. You're acting just like so-and-so. Well, so what's the role of parents? What is the role of parents? Well, we know that I mean, he says children uh, honor your parents, obey your parents, but, but what's the role? Let me speak to the, those that are moms or dads or, or grandparents or as one of you, and she's not here at this service, but told me yesterday, had just had her great, great grandchild. I said, were you 12 years old when you got married? And she said, no, 19. All right. The role of parents. There's honor in the position and there's honor in the person. Hopefully, we want to be honored for the person, not just because of the position. So what's involved in being parents worthy of honor? The Puritans get a totally unearned bad rap today. You, we use the term puritanical as though it's kind of some... Uh, hung up, you know, these, these highly religious persecutors of other people. Nothing could have been further from the truth. Oh, when you read how the Puritans dealt with Scripture, it, it was all application. And uh, my books by the Puritans, when they come to a passage, say like the Fifth Commandment, it may then say, okay, here are 55 applications of this commandment. It was all geared toward life change, how you apply it to your life. I mean, there was explanation, too, in theology, but it was highly uh, application-oriented. Thomas Watson, who wrote a book on the Ten Commandments and a book on the Lord's Prayer, uh, among others, he, uh, I've read his book on the Ten Commandments, and when he comes to this, he has a whole list of things of what is involved in being parents worthy of honor. Now, this was written in the 1600s, folks. Now, I've updated some of the language, but it, he gave a long list. I'll read a few of them. What's involved in being parents worthy of honor? One, to be a parent worthy of honor, be careful to bring your children up in the fear and the nurture of the Lord. Augustine said of his mother, Monica, that she travailed more for his spiritual birth than she did for his natural birth. Instruct them with the scriptures and teach them about God. Two, he said, if you would have your children honor you, you must keep parental authority. Be kind but you must have authority and do not spoil them. Third, provide for them what is fitting, both when they are young and as they get older. Fourth, as they grow, listen to this, as they grow, help them to know their calling in life so that they may serve their generation. It is good to consult the natural genius and inclination of a child. What are they inclined to do, whether you want them to do that or not? And he says, forced callings do as much harm as forced marriages. 1600, folks. 
To let a child be out of a calling is to expose him to temptation. Fifth, act lovingly toward your children. If all your counsels and commands and all of those, let them see love. Love will command honor. Six, pray much for them. Seven, encourage that which you see that is good and commendable in your children. Commending that which is good in your children is like the watering of plants, which makes them grow more. Some parents discourage the good they see in their children, and so they nip that virtue in the bud. You ever catch your child doing something right? Hey, I saw you. Good job. If you would have honor, number eight, he goes on, if you would have honor from your children, set them a good example. It it makes children despise parents when the parents live in contradiction to their own precepts, when they tell their children to be sober and yet they themselves get drunk, or they bid their children to fear God and are themselves loose in their lives. If you would have your children honor you, teach them by holy example. I'm going to read a couple other things from him in a few moments. But we also need to set limits. As parents, what do we do? Rules without relationships bring rebellion. If you're just a rule setter and you don't love them and have have close relationship, it will just bring rebellion. If you do not put limitations on a child, that expresses rejection. Despite what we may think, that expresses rejection. Proverbs 13 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who disciplines, he who loves him disciplines him diligently. And then lead them. That was the primary role of parents in the past. What do you want your kids to be? Here's the emphasis today in our culture, by and large, not in every case, but mostly. It is all on performance. How do you appear? What are your grades? What is your athletic or academic ability? Are you popular? And the emphasis is put there rather than on character. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we want them to have character too, but that somehow is not emphasized. Character that involves things like contentment and courage and courtesy and discernment and fairness and friendliness and generosity and gentleness and helpfulness and honesty and humility and kindness and obedience and patience and persistence and self-control and tactfulness and thankfulness and faithfulness and wisdom. That's the role of parents is to be doing as much as possible to help develop that in children. Who's teaching these things? Those things I just read. Well, it needs to be parents. So we need to learn to complement character more than talent. And that's hard. Because we tend to complement the person that's got the talent. But we need to complement where the character is. Thank you for the forbearance you just showed. When that person said that insulting thing to you, you controlled yourself and did not get into a fistfight. It would only have made the problem worse. Or thank you for doing this. Or I I see your heart in this, and that's to be complimented. But consider this and make the decision that way. And then laugh with them. I was thinking of that most of us, if we've got grandchildren, grown children, and when we get together, it, it, like Lord willing, we'll do today, this afternoon, um, most of the talk when it becomes remembrances is on funny things that happen. There's, you really need to laugh a, as a family. Uh, that was rare in the family 
uh, where I grew up. But I remember, I have vivid memories of when we laughed at things. Or when they, my parents would laugh at themselves or, or something funny would happen that wasn't planned. Chuck Swindoll, in a book he wrote years ago called You and Your Child, it's on child raising. He wrote this, and I know it's dated, but uh, it caught my attention. Uh, he said, mealtimes, and this is when their kids were little. Now they, they're way up in ages. He said, mealtimes are great times for character training. Many years ago, Cynthia and I decided we needed to work on our table manners. We were beginning to look and sound more like a pen of pigs than a home of humans. Before supper began, I whispered to Curtis, who was six years old, that was our son, six years old, that he should serve Carissa, who was four years old, before he served himself. Naturally, he wondered why, because the platter of chicken was sitting directly in front of him, and he was hungry as a lion. Swindoll goes on, I explained that it is polite for fellows to serve girls before they serve themselves. Now, the rule sounded weird, but he was willing as long as it didn't take too long. Well, you'll never believe what occurred. After prayer, he picked up the huge platter, held it for his little sister, and asked which piece of chicken she wanted. Carissa, who was four years old, relished all that attention. Being quite young, however, she had no idea which piece was which, so very seriously she replied, I'd like the foot. He glanced in my direction, frowned as the hunger pain shot through his stomach, and then looked back at her and said, Carissa, mother doesn't cook the foot. To which she replied, well, where is it? With increased anxiety, he answered a bit louder, I don't know. The foot is somewhere else, not on this platter. Look, choose a piece and hurry up. She studied the platter and said, okay, give me the hand. By now, their mother and father are biting their lips to keep from laughing out loud. We would have intervened, but decided instead to let them work it out alone. So Curtis said, a chicken doesn't have a hand. It has a wing, Carissa. Well, I hate wings, Curtis. Oh, just go ahead and give me the head. (laughs) By then, I was headed to the bathroom because I couldn't hold my laughter any longer. Curtis was totally beside himself, and Carissa was totally frustrated not being able to get the peace she wanted. Realizing his irritation with her in the absence of a foot or hand or head, she finally said in an exasperated tone, All right, I'll take the belly button. (laughs) That did it. He reached in, grabbed a piece, and said, That's the best I can do. And he gave her the breast, which is about as close to a belly button as you can get. I mean, where can you get humor like that except in the home? When Psalm says, says, like, sons are a heritage of the Lord, children a reward from him. I mean, we rejoice in rewards, don't we? We don't complain about rewards. We enjoy them if we get one. And so the kids are only there for a season. So make that time count. I remember one Sunday we were leaving church. I had an old car, and my daughter Sarah at that time was was seated next to me. I guess she was about six years old. And and we turned on the Riverside Drive, and when I did, suddenly the car went from being the normal sound to being real loud. And I knew, oh, great. And so I turned, there was traffic behind me, and so I could not stop, but I looked in the rearview mirror, and I said, oh, no. And she said, what's wrong, what's wrong? I said, we lost our muffler. I could see it in the road. <laughs> and her, her surprised look turned to pain, and I, in her face, her facial expression, I'm driving along, and she goes, we lost our mother. <laughs> In many homes, we really just need to lighten up. Uh, I mean, it starts with the parents, 
have fun with your kids. You say, well, I don't have any kids. Well, have fun with your wife. Say, I don't have a wife. Well, have fun with your dog. Just do something. <laughs> All right, so Thomas Watson goes on, and he says, in relation to the Ephesians passage, when it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children, do not provoke them to wrath. He says, how may a parent provoke his children to wrath? And this was particularly for fathers. He says, one, by cursing them rather than blessing them. Or when disciplining them and the correction exceeds the fault. You know, they, they, they committed a, uh, uh, an error that was that big, and you make it this big. When parents deny their children what is needful, and, and this which I'm going to mention is all through the Bible, brings devastating effects, and that is when parents show partiality toward one child over another. That's just poison. That's poison. Some of you grew up in that kind of setting, and, and you've experienced that. But, but if, if those of you that have not, that maybe marriage, families in the future, get your head straight on that one right now, not to show partiality. Third, when a parent does anything which is evil and brings disgrace upon him or herself and the family, it provokes the children to wrath. Or when parents lay commands upon their children which they cannot perform without violating their consciences. When parents are pushing children to sin, he said that will provoke them to wrath. So lastly, I'll try to wrap this up, the role of children, honor your parents. The word simply means to give weight to to attribute weight to that person, to give gravity to, to honor, obedience, and gratefulness. It's a command with a promise, the promises of a long life. And you say, does this mean that there's a guarantee that if I obey the fifth commandment that I'll live to a ripe old age? No, it's, it's a principle. It doesn't mean in every case that's true, but it's, it's a pattern, a general principle of life, that things go better for you when you honor your parents. And the commandment in the fifth commandment is addressed to children. It's not addressed to the parents. It's not for the parents to try to force their children to honor them. It's address children. I mean, honor your father and mother. Now, honor them with obedience. As you get older, that moves from a chain of obedience to a chain of counsel. Honor them with gratitude. Despite what you think, no one will ever make an investment in your life like your father or mother. The investment of time, money, emotions, taxi service, education, health, and so forth. Years ago, there was a poll taken of parents all across the USA, and they were asked what they would like from their children more than anything else. Number one, respect. Respect. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they used the law of God to avoiding taking care of their elderly parents. And they, they spiritualized it. So take care of your parents if they need that when they're older. Don't worry, I, I don't have an agenda behind it as if any of my kids are here right now. Uh, I'm really feeling healthy. <laughs> uh, well, you say it will be a tremendous strain to take care of them. Listen, I promise you this, a number of years ago, society told them it would be a tremendous strain to have children. <laughs> they did it anyway. Uh, taking care of an elderly parent. Uh, no two situations are exactly the same. There are a lot of factors that have to be considered, and there's a lot of guilt that people feel sometimes with hard decisions they make. All I would say is do the best you can while you can. Love them until God takes them home. That's all I would say.
Uh, for adults, perhaps you've got a broken relationship with a parent. And maybe you've not even talked to them in a decade, or him, or her. You may not even know where that person is. I just say, prayerfully seek to bridge that gap. Try to show honor, even at this late in the game. Both my parents died years ago, and I still try to obey this by how I speak about them to other people. You know, certain things that just don't need to be talked about. That if my dad were here, my mom were here, they'd probably, they wouldn't get to tell their side of the story. That's just my personal thoughts on that. Honor them by what you are. Kids, you want to give your mother or your dad the best, best present they ever had? Don't worry about the fifth commandment. Obey the first commandment. Follow Christ. That's the greatest gift a parent could have is to say, I raised a child who furthered and advanced the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that God calls everybody to be cross-cultural, vocational missionaries or, or something like that. He might. But just where you are, that you serve Christ there, that you advance the kingdom of God where God has put you, that is the greatest gift you will ever give your parents, whether they realize it or not. James Dobson, years ago, in one of his books, he wrote this paragraph. My one purpose in life is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am to serve him to the best of my ability, and I am to take as many people to heaven as I possibly can. And my first responsibility is to do everything in my power to include my own kids in that number. But the trouble is, now I'm, that's not James Dobson, no parent can ensure that. You owe it, child, youngster, you owe it to yourself to trust Christ and to follow him. I've met students, college students, that in talking to them, they were rejecting Christ out of rebellion to their mom or their dad. It's like, I'm going to show them, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a Christian. And I've said to them what I'd say now, that is a foolish decision. Because when each of us stand before God, it will be us alone. Child, teenager, adult, are you honoring your mother, your father, know what this commandment shows us as i said at the beginning does it build us up make us confident we're going to walk out of here today saying boy i've checked that one off i've kept it all the days of my life no it reveals we've sinned so we need a savior do you need a savior this morning he just says we simply receive him ask god to give you the forgiveness which brought jesus into the world when he died on the cross in John 1.12, a verse quoted often from this pulpit, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. He is the perfect Father. Let's pray together. Lord, may your uh, word bear fruit in our lives. We pray for hope and joy and celebration. We pray for those of us that it may be in any realm, but perhaps in extended family, have some level of broken relationship or tension or even hostility. And we pray that that we might expect and pray for and work toward real change, that you might surprise us that a week from now we may have had some conversations that we didn't think we'd ever have, conversations of peace or gratitude. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.